Supervised Leadership Season 4. I think this is episode 5, 6, one of the two. I think 6. Okay, good. We're going to land on 6. And we need to start off today with what we are drinking because it is amazing. Fall drink coming at you guys. You need to make this at home or if you have people over, whatever you want to do. You need to go to the store, preferably Mariano's, and you need to purchase, they have caramel apple cider, and it's in like a little half gallon. You need to purchase one of those. You need to get a bottle of Prosecco, and then you also need to get vanilla vodka. Smirnoff vanilla vodka is actually the best. So you make this drink by first getting your wine glass, your champagne glass, whatever you have. You're going to put caramel around the rim. And then you're going to dip it into crushed toffee. So it has like a candy rim. Then you're going to put a half a shot of vanilla vodka, fill the glass with Prosecco and add two splashes of the caramel apple cider. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. With a caramel apple sundae on the side. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really I, Listen, I loved this drink last year and... It hasn't lost its steam. I love it again. Thank you. Yeah, this is this is what we're here for in the fall. And we need to give a shout out to all of the principals and assistant principals out there. It is principals week, month, whatever you want to call it. So shout out to all of the amazing colleagues that I have and know and the people I don't know and the people we've met on Twitter. Everybody's doing a great job, especially, you know, post pandemic, learning a new type of school. Everybody's doing great. It's not easy to be a principal. No, <laughs> no, it's not. It's a really, 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 really hard job. So yes, thank you to all of our principals out there, but I call it the impossible principalship. I think that you have to be everything to everybody all of the time. And it's a 24 seven job. It never goes away. Does it not even on a holiday or a weekend, Kate? No, no, uh, it doesn't. And I think COVID really exemplified that, right? Like it was like, you have no personal time. And I am that kind of a people person. So, and so are you. So I like to know like what my staff is doing. That's exciting, like in their personal lives and their professional lives. And I have a very hard time shutting anything down. So I have no one to blame, but myself. <laughs> yeah. You're way more of a people person than I am though. You think? Yeah. In fact, one of my neighbors said, you're the most socially antisocial neighbor that we have. <laughs> we didn't have that neighbor. <laughs> Yeah. Which is kind of true though, because honestly, like when I'm on, I'm on, but if I'm just going, I've told you this, we go out somewhere, we go out to dinner. I like to sit where I can't be seen and hide sometimes and not talk to a lot of people because we're constantly always talking to people, but you could do that 24 seven. I, on the other hand, sometimes I need a break. We're very different when it comes to that. Yeah, I do. I could see that. I actually get really tired too, though, sometimes. And I'm like, for the love of God, I just want no one to contact me for like, I don't know, two days, two minutes, <laughs> two days, two minutes. And, you know, I have like a personal but professional relationship with my families of my students. Like, I mean, some people are listening to this and they're probably going to think I'm crazy, but the majority of parents have access to my personal cell phone. Like I will call them, text them. They send me something they're worried about. I'm like, oh, okay, I, this will take me a five minute call at night or on a Saturday morning, then letting something fester for 48 hours and then wait and then call them back during like quote unquote business hours. And everyone's upset over something silly. So I feel like that also adds to that, but you don't have to be that way, but I find the most success doing that. And it's better. 
I used to give my cell phone out when I was a superintendent and when I was a building principal, I did not find that parents no. were um, intrusive or disrespectful about that. In fact, um, anytime that they did reach out to me, I was certainly glad that they did. And there were times that I'd see something or hear something, or sometimes you'd be driving home and you pick up the phone and call right then and there. And they're like, what number is this? This is my cell phone. You've got it now. If you ever yeah. need it, use it. I mean, I, I think being that open, people have a lot of respect for that. I wonder how many principals and leaders, district and school leaders that are out there do that now. But I, I always found it to be something that was really, really helpful. I agree. I think some people will say that I'm crazy <laughs> and you are too, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, People call us crazy all the time. I'm okay with it. Yeah. I, it doesn't bother me anymore. Let's talk about the post you sent me. Okay. So in this month's AASA, so that is the National Superintendents Association magazine, they had a portion in there that said the state of the superintendency. And this was actually from New York. So I went and looked at the source. And so it was New York State Council of School Superintendents. But what they did is they took a survey and said, when you were considering applying for your first superintendency, what was your most significant reservation? And then they broke it down to male and female. Let's first of all, let's go ahead and just say what the results were. So for females, the number one was politics of the job at 23%. And the second was impact on family at 18%. But for men, impact on family was the highest at 29%. And job security was the second highest at 21%. One of the things that I felt was really interesting is that 19% of the men had no reservations at all. 18% of the women had no reservations. But the two things that were the most different was that females said the politics of the job were, that was 23% for them. But yeah. politics of the job was only 16% for the men. What do you take on that? You know, I was actually shocked when you sent this to me because I um, am currently getting my, finishing my doctorate, finishing my dissertation. And part of the stuff we've been doing is coding different, um, you know, pieces of interviews from other people that are superintendents. And in that, the highest thing was politics. I don't know if they were men or women that were answering these questions, but it was like the hardest part of my job is politics overall. And I feel like it's strange. I thought that they would both be at the top. I thought politics for the job would be a hardship for both men and women or a perceived hardship, I guess you should say. Yeah, because this this question was about reservations when you were first considering applying. And so for women, it was politics. But for men, it was only 16% were politics. And that was actually below not having any reservations, job security, and impact on family. I would have probably said impact on family would have been, for women, the number one. But it was politics. And I'll tell you. The yeah. superintendency is all about politics, 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 politics. Yeah. The, the bottom of this also talked about female and male career considerations. And so it said that 47% of incumbents indicated that the job's impact on their families was the most significant reservation. Mm -hmm. So 
what that separately did was break it down men and women. So that makes sense to me. I think that a lot of people do think about what is my life going to look like if I become a superintendent? Am I really ready for it? I mean, we talk about this all of the time, but certainly politics is absolutely a huge part of the superintendency. Well, yeah, you think about it and it's, there's politics about everything, right? Like there are some school boards that will say, you absolutely need to have a beer with us when we go out on a Friday after school, but you can go 20 miles down the road to another school district. And they would say, we never, ever, ever want to see you with a beer in your hand because you're a public figure. And that is political depending on where you're at. And it has nothing to do with what you believe personally. It's just kind of where you're at. So you have to determine if things like that matter to you. And so what can you live with? What can't you live with? I think is just an interesting concept in general. And I hear that example over and over and over again from different people, because I think that's just a very small piece of your lifestyle that you don't necessarily think of when you're going to get a job. Yes. Well, and you probably thought about it because we like drinking beer, although we're trying not to right now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yes. Or, you know, I think about, and we, you and I have talked about this when you were a superintendent in Lamont, you brought your kids to everything. And that was a socially acceptable thing because where we were working, like they enjoyed that. And people liked seeing you around with your kids where, you know, other school districts might feel differently about that. And that's a different view that they have where you have to sit and think like, well, what am I okay with? And so that's different too. Yeah. And I mean, I do, I agree with you. I think that there are plenty of opportunities for people to really think about where is my life currently at? What do things look like now? What is most important to me in the next five years, 10 years, 15 years? All of those things really do matter. And sometimes though, I think we can get our in our own head and in our own way. Oh yeah. And then it prevents us from even trying to, take a new step. I mean, you know, I don't think I would have interviewed and said, Oh, do you guys care if I bring my kids to everything? But at that point I knew that I had a a five-year-old and a almost one-year-old and there was, I mean, they knew that about me and it really was the best way for me to be able to do my job, but also at the same time, include my family and see my family and see my children. And so even though things are different now, I would probably still continue to take my own kids to wherever I was working. I don't have that opportunity right now where I work. Um, But now I have done more recently taking my daughter on the road with me when I can. And that's been fun. Yeah. That is fun. But that those are the things that I mean. I think when people go to ask other people like, oh, are you going to apply for a job soon? Are you going to like, at least for me personally, I think where what is my life going to look like if I had a magic wand in the next five years and those attributes in my life, like does this job lend itself to that or not? And sometimes it's yes. And sometimes it's no. And sometimes it's who's making the decisions as yeah. to, it's what we talked about last week. I'm a firm believer that it's the person or people that have the opportunity to make decisions like that, that will depend on what ends up happening. It impacts the result. Yeah. completely. So something happens for you as a, a building principal and something happens with a student, a family, a staff member, because you have that decision-making power in your building. If another principal was there, 
the outcome could be completely and totally different depending on who sits in the office as a principal. Yeah. Isn't that such a fascinating concept? I got a lot of people texting us about that episode and that comment specifically. Like, that is so true. Like, there is no black and white answer to really anything in education. It really comes down to the people at the table, the team at the table, and whatever relationships, decision-making processes, whatever that looks like, that's that's what usually happens, right? So that's a scary thing to think about. I think it's... I think it's scary. And I think it's also very exciting when you think about leadership because you have the opportunity to change someone's life every single day, every single day, the decisions. And if you think about it, I don't know what the current stat is on the number of decisions that people make every single day, but it's a tremendous amount. It's it it has to be. And you know what I've found, especially over the past two years, is you don't you don't have to have all the answers because nobody ever does, right? I think that the most important thing, especially as a building principle, when I reflect back on the things I've done over the past five years, the most important thing I've ever done is support people, whether that's the teacher, a parent, a kid. Like you do that first and then all the other things happen afterwards. And I think that that's overlooked and sometimes... People think that's silly, but I think that in order for people to really feel supported, that's the only way that they'll open up and tell you how they're really feeling, what they really want, what they really need. And that takes some time and it does require you to be somewhat of a people person. But I think that that, those small things don't go unnoticed. And it says that it's people over process and procedure, not that process and procedure doesn't matter. But if we get so wrapped up in process and procedure, sometimes uh, what is it called? Analysis paralysis. Yeah. We, we cannot move at all, which is something else that we were going on tangents about <laughs> last week. Yeah. <laughs> because there's a blend of being able to move forward and then just getting stuck. So yes, I, or last week when we were talking, you were talking about, you would rather move forward quickly. Yeah. And I'm, I am that person too, because I just think that people matter kids matter. Sometimes we think things to death, to death, talk them to death. And then we're at a standstill. And sometimes there's so many people involved in the process that we can't move forward, but there's got to be one person in a department, one, that one person in a school, in a school district, in an organization that does have the decision-making power to go, we're doing it. Yeah. This is where we're going. And I think you have good ownership over yourself and your decisions. Even if you move fast, you have the ability to maybe recognize if you were wrong and apologize and be open about that. And I think that people will continue to trust you in that sense. Yeah. I mean, we've screwed up. Haven't oh, we? Yeah. A lot sure. of times I'll be like, Oh, that was a bad choice. We need to go back and rethink this because we went forward and it didn't work, but that's fine. Now we know that. And we just need to pivot. Right. Exactly. Pivot the word of uh, the century. I swear, at least the best. But I think it's really important. I do too. This is good. We're just being so reflective today on this Saturday morning. Okay, what else we need to talk about before we introduce our special guest? Let's talk about accountability, high stake testing, uh, designations, all of those things that people are probably looking at or looking forward to in the next couple of months. Tell me your initial thoughts on this. Well, my initial thought is that <laughs> right, right now we have 
a lot of people who are thinking about their own school and district designations is what we call them here in Illinois. I think across the country, you're going to find different terminology used. But right now, I think there's a lot of anticipation. I think that there's a lot of nervousness, anxiousness that goes along with how your school or your school district is designated. And here in Illinois, there are different terms like exemplary, commendable, targeted. And I know that you've recently started watching some webinars, listening to some webinars, and I've done the same. My personal view is that any of these designations are based on one moment on one day for the kids that are taking this. And I have never believed that we should be defined by one moment on one day. You certainly wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that. It's it's indicative of when we talk about teacher evaluation. I always say, if you're just going to come in and see me in my classroom one time out of two years and then make a determination, that is not reflective of what I do on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. That one test score is not reflective of what kids do on a day-to-day basis. I get pretty fired up about that kind of stuff. Now, do I understand conceptually the reasoning behind that? And do I care about accountability? Absolutely. Yes, I do. But I still am a firm believer that we should not define and put everything. Does it matter? Of course it matters. Is it the be all end all? I would hope not. Yeah, I agree. Listen, I'm only asking because I think like myself, there's a lot of people out there who are looking forward to it or wanting to know what that looks like. But I think fundamentally, it took me a a hot second to sit down and really reflect on, I ask teachers every day to differentiate for kids all day long, right? Like they have so many different learners, so many different needs. I ask them to be a parent, a teacher, a friend, um, a colleague, a professor in different manners all the time. I have, they juggle so many different hats. And so I do get, when I sit back and think about it, these tests usually take two days out of the 180 days of school. So it's exactly like what you said. It is a very small moment in time that defines a school for like the next year or two. And so while I love the idea of accountability and celebration for schools, I also love the idea of, I think we can do better and how we acknowledge that in different schools. I don't know what that looks like because I don't know what other states do, but I think that there is always room for improvement. I think that, like you said, accountability is so, so very important, but I also would love to see something that's not just a small glimpse of what happens in a school out of two, like out of literally two out of the 180 school days. Well, it comes back to telling your narrative and making sure that on a daily basis, that you are having conversations about what is happening in classrooms. What are kids' experiences? I know for a fact that you'll have parents say that, well, my school was rated whatever the top rating is in whatever state across the country and say, but I haven't had a good experience. Well, at that point, if I'm the principal of that school, I care more at that point about what that parent's experience is versus what my quote unquote rating is. It's hard when you think about that because there's two sides. It's like a double-edged sword. You want people 
that are in your building and experience your building on a daily basis to have a really positive experience and love where they're at. But you also want like acknowledgement for all the hard work and academic pieces that go into it. So moral of the story is we're going to help develop something that makes this better because that's what we do. We are problem solvers, not problem finders. Isn't that right? We are, but I would love to hear maybe some of our listeners chime in to see if, do they have any ideas on this topic? Because I bet that we have a lot of building principals that are listening that do. I'm sure we have superintendents listening. We probably have parents that are listening. Um, As a parent, I don't get really wrapped up in those ratings per se. I think it's much more for me rooted in my children's experience, my experience, and making sure that they have a very well-rounded, positive experience. And I think that that looks very different for every kid. And that's why differentiation matters. Yeah, it is why differentiation matters. So here we are. We're just going on another tangent, another rant. One day I'll tell you guys the real story, but I'm just, you know, giving you guys the cliff notes for right now. (laughs) That's right. Well, we have a great guest today. We're excited for this guest. We are. Why don't you introduce him? Because he's a longtime friend of yours. Yes, everyone, we have Dr. Michael Lubefeld, who is the superintendent of North Shore School District 112 in Highland Park, Illinois. And I feel like I can like say it the way that Mike would say it, because I've heard him introduce himself so many times. But Mike is a superintendent, he's an author, he is a professor, he is constantly on the go. He is someone that is all about public education and really not only all about his school district, but also an advocate for kids, families, staff, educators across our country. He's gonna talk about service, he's going to talk about leadership, and he is definitely going to leave you thinking about what you need to do next to make sure that you are leveling up your leadership in every single way. So we are excited to have Mike with us today. But before we get to Mike, let's also hear from our Sparkle sister, Dr. Bob Nishanawuf with today's Sparkle Spotlight. Hi, this is Bob Sharma Lewis with today's Sparkle Spotlight. You will regret the years you spent berating your looks. The sooner you can make peace with the vessel your soul lives in, the better. Your body is amazing and important, but it does not define you. Cheers to living your best life. Sparkle on. Okay, Courtney, we have a very special guest on today, don't we? We do. We have Dr. Mike Lubefeld. He is the superintendent of North Shore School District 112 right here in Illinois. We've been trying to get this guy for season one, season two, season three. He's been denying us, shutting us down, but today is our day, (laughs) right? Mike, welcome to Unsupervised Leadership. All right, Courtney and Kate, I am so proud to be here. I am so excited to be here. And I've been trying, I've been climbing the walls to get onto your (laughs) podcast since before season one. So I am so happy to be here today. Thanks for giving me the opportunity and thanks for spending some time with me. Listen, you're full of it, but we're here for it. Listen, we want you to begin and tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself, but more importantly, Mike, what's your favorite drink? Well, my favorite drink is bourbon. So I'm just going to put an entire genre out there. I'll just say bourbon. Um, (laughs) So I am Mike Lubelfeld. I am the uh, husband of Stephanie, father of Maya and Justin, two uh, teenagers. 
And I am the superintendent, proud superintendent in Highland Park in Highwood, Illinois, about 25 miles north of Chicago on the beautiful shores of Lake Michigan. I'm in my 14th consecutive year as a public school superintendent, which is why bourbon is my favorite drink category. And I'm in my 30-something year as a public school educator. I've been a teacher, middle school, all the way associate principal, principal, summer school principal, assistant superintendent. Um, It's been a blessing. It's been a privilege. It's been an honor. I absolutely can't get out of the eighth grade and I love education. (laughs) That's it in a nutshell. Drop the mic. Let's go drink some bourbon. Let's go. Come on over. Let's go. I was just on the bourbon trail. So in the uh, aforementioned genre of American heartland spirits, I would happily share with you and all of your listeners. Wow. Okay. Do you listen listen to our podcast, Mike? I have listened to episodes (laughs) of your podcast. Yes, I have. And I know that Sarah Bocek, who will, you know, huge shout out to to Sarah, was your most recent guest that you published. And uh, over the many years of unsupervised leadership, I've been, in fact, unsupervised. um, And I've listened to a few other episodes of some real amazing folks. And again, I'm proud to be part of this collection of uh, leaders that you... um, that you really, you know, take the time to talk to. So yes. Yeah. Hey, Mike did his homework and he just got an A on that pop quiz. <laughs> He's not an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you know Hashtag. Yeah. Hashtag on it. Okay. Mike, we ask all of our listeners when they come on, what does unsupervised leadership mean to you? If you had to t- tell us what you think. Oh my God. I love this. I love this. So, you know, you've got two pretty big words that mean a lot. Uh, Leadership is really service to others and helping create conditions so that others can thrive and others can really grow and become the next versions of themselves. Unsupervised is kind of more fun. It's more, it's a more fun word because unsupervised means you're doing it But sometimes you make up your own rules and sometimes you pave your own way. Sometimes you make your own reality and sometimes the conditions that existed were no good. So you sort of poof them out and create your own conditions. And unsupervised means, you know what? You're doing it and you're going to do it for whomever it is, whether it's students or teachers or the community or the rotary or whatever it is, you're simply unsupervised, not unhinged but unsupervised. So it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Hey, I like that. Not unhinged. Yeah. That's a hashtag right there. Mm -hmm. Not unhinged, but yet supervised. Mike, you know that this podcast is about women in leadership, but it's more just about leadership in general. And you know that Kate and I are quite passionate about that. What is your take on women in leadership? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, Being an elementary school superintendent, being a a middle school teacher, my entire career has been where the the gender balance has been women majority, male minority. So number one, I have been in positions where simply because I'm a male and and a, a white male, doors open or there's privilege or there's this, yet I'm surrounded by equally and in most cases far superior talented women who had to work probably two or three times as hard as I had to, whether it was in the teaching field, getting supervision, leadership, junior administration, middle administration, senior administration. So women in leadership 
represents to me, by the way, a girl dad and a boy dad. So understanding, you know, the concept from, from a, a person point of view, too, that things come a lot easier to me simply because of society's prejudices, society's preconceived notions, society's, um, I think, misguided cultural norms and, and mores uh, for centuries, you know, and women in leadership is a topic that deserves both men and women to be united arm in arm in solidarity to make sure that there's equality, equitable opportunities, which means a little differences here and there, equitable access, <clears throat> changing some of the rules, again, being unsupervised, as you would say. And it also means standing arm in arm to say that gender never should be the barrier that it is. And if you're of the gender where the barriers are gone, then we have to make sure that we keep those doors open. We keep those barriers down. So I'm a, a fierce advocate for women in leadership. I'm a fierce advocate for leadership. I'm a fierce advocate for equitable access to educational opportunities, whether you're a child, whether you're an adult, whether you're a leader. Hey, thanks for that. That was good. Thanks. If we already wrote our book, we would have used one of your quotes in there. Next your second edition, I'm all over it. I'm ready. Let's go. I can't wait to read your book too. And I've been trying to get the uh, access code to pre-order, so I know it's going to drop soon. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna send you that soon. All right, Mike. So now that you've shared your educational journey in the beginning with our listeners, and you've been a superintendent for 14 years. Prior to that, you were in education for like 16 years, doing different things. So as you head towards the retirement track, which we're all very jealous of, can you tell our listeners what is your biggest regret in leadership so far? Yeah, I'll tell you, this is a really good one. So my biggest regret is not having joined the uh, Illinois National Guard back in the uh, 90s, to tell you the truth. And that may sound kind of weird, kind of crazy, but I, I come from a, a service-oriented family. Um, my father was a veteran. My uncles were veterans. And back at that time, I really, I really wanted to, and and I should have. So that that's a leadership regret because I always look at leadership in military, in business, in civic leadership, in corporate leadership, obviously educational leadership, uh, clergy leadership. So I look at leadership at 360 degrees. So my biggest regret is I did not do that to serve my state and my nation. And now at 55, they probably wouldn't take me and they probably shouldn't take me right now. Well, depending on what the position is, right? Sure, leadership, there you go. Leadership is, is leadership. So you have had, you mentioned this, you've had the opportunity to work with a lot of women throughout your career and throughout your life. And I know you have important women in your life as well. Uh, Kate and I now being two of those important women, Mike. So yes. is a woman who you would give credit that has supported you in your role and how do you think that we should be getting more women into the pipeline of leadership? Oh my gosh. So I'm going to name, can I name four? All sure. right. These are four superstar women, not the only women who've helped me, but four superstar, what I'll call guardian angel women. So one is Dr. Joanne Desmond. Dr. Desmond uh, hired me in Highland Park back in 97 as a teacher. And then she gave me my first leadership, titled leadership roles. In addition to Dr. Joanne Desmond, Dr. Lori McIntyre. Lori was the HR assistant superintendent who was able to help and see things in me and help me get better and, and shape me a little bit. Um, in addition, Dr. Jane Westerholt, she is another what I'll call guardian angel who really appeared to help me make career decisions that I would not have made on my own. I wouldn't even known that I needed to, should have, or how to had made those decisions on my own. 
And also Dr. Jean Sophie, who um, was just another inspiring uh, woman leader. I can keep going. Um, I can give a shout out to Dr. Monica Schrader, the deputy superintendent of schools in uh, North Shore 112 as well. And, um, you know, a president elect of the AASBA. There's just so many. You too. You know what I mean? Oh, no, no joke. All kidding aside. So there's just there, there's a lot of, of superstar women in leadership and I can keep going. That's a great list. Those are like incredible women leaders that have really paved the way to do the things that Kate and I do every single day. And those are women who inspire us too. I have a question for you, Mike. So being in this business for a long time, we call that seasoned veterans. That's we're seasoned veterans, right? You and I. Yes. <laughs> well seasoned. Yes. All spice. Well, yeah, we are well seasoned. So when you think of education then and education now, and you and I have had a lot of conversations about this. I consider you to be a very progressive superintendent and a very progressive leader in so many ways. I wouldn't want you to talk about the concept of remote work in education. There was a recent article called Women in the Workplace 2022, and it was about corporate America. But one of the things that they talked about in there was women having more flexibility at work, and that's getting them into the pipeline. Now, this is not to say that we all agree that people need to be in front of kids. I think we can all agree with that. But when you think about leadership, what is your take on remote work for women in the workplace? And what might that look like today in 2023 that it didn't look like when you and I first started way back when? Do you have any well, thoughts on that? I do. <clears throat> well, when you and I started, I mean, me before you, because I'm significantly older than you, um, you're a progressive leader in your 30s, possibly, you know, there that you go. Not true, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say there was no viable web-based communication. So one of the things that really is revolutionary and that's transformed the ability to be present in a professional setting, whether it's training and learning, whether it's meeting and greeting, whether it's actually conducting some sort of teamwork or project lead, is video conferencing, web-based conferencing, whether it's Teams or Zoom or WebEx, you know, I'm, I'm company agnostic and platform agnostic, FaceTime, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> Google Duo, <laughs> I see it. Uh, Periscope. No, um, in any event, what one of the major changes has been the actual technological platform that allows us to connect, whether we're here in the north suburbs of Chicago or whether we're in Queensland, Australia. So one of the major things is technology. Another major thing is the recent uh, traumatic uh, COVID-19 experiences that impacted education, impacted corporate commercial real estate, impacted the whole world, finance, everything. And it really showed that, yes, as human beings, we need that social connection and eight-year-olds do not learn on a lecture-based sort of program or profile. It still has to be engaging and interactive. That said, it showed that there are some real uh, bright lights about people being able to connect virtually from time to time. So I don't believe in, in public education at elementary level. I don't believe in full-scale remote work only because that social connection, that physical and emotional and chemist, chemical connection is so important. However, we have learned that certain people in certain positions simply can be effective from time to time using a variety of formats. 
I would agree with that. I mean, we want teachers to be in the classroom, but the idea from a leadership perspective, do you think it's fair to think about doing things differently for some of our administrators, men or women, that we might not have ever thought about doing before to give them more flexibility with uh, their family or, you know, just stuff like that. I think it, I don't know. I feel like you and I have had a lot of conversations when it just comes to education in general. And that might be something that we haven't talked about ad nauseum yet, but it's an opportunity maybe that's out there. I'd like to, and I will tell you that our board approved the first ever contract, first ever contract I've, I've recommended literally, I think like last week for, uh, we have a retiring director of operations. And instead of having him retire in June, we're going to extend him from July to December. One of the caveats is because of the position of life that he and his wife are in, he's going to have the permission to work remotely one week per month. And this is groundbreaking. And this will allow him to still mentor the person that's going to be hired to, to, to you know, re replace his position and also allow him to continue keeping an eye on the you know myriad of uh, projects we've got going on in District 112. So again, um, I, I think the future is wide open for us. I think the future is bright. I also know that I thankfully have a daughter in the education pipeline. She's going to be a special ed teacher, which is awesome. I do know that we have a critical shortage of teachers and administrators right now in the United States. And I do know that there are areas 30 miles south of my district, north of my district or west of my district, where they may absolutely positively have to engage in and embrace some degree of remote whatever to, you know, get that chemistry teacher or get that French teacher and have those opportunities for kids. And I think we've got to keep our minds open on all sides of, of, of the coin here. That example yeah. you gave about your director of operations is exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, that's out of the box thinking that there's going to be a benefit to your school district with allowing that type of transition. So thank you. I appreciate that. Kate, you're yeah, up. Thanks for sharing. I do think that that's a good point though, like Mike said, because I think when people hear remote in education, it gives everybody PTSD. Like, let's go back to when I had to fight with my kid at the kitchen counter to get them on Zoom and they're not learning math and now I'm responsible. But there's a, a progressive way to think about that, especially when we think about it in terms of district leadership positions over the summer, over holiday breaks, over like more, I would say progressive ideas. And I don't think when, I think when people hear remote, they think we're talking about like the Monday through Friday with kids where they're like, I can't do that. Stop talking. <laughs> so I totally. think something to clarify. Totally. All right, Mike. So people know you, you have written books, you speak a lot, you do a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Let's talk about what you think the biggest misconception people have about you is. Oh my gosh. Okay. This may surprise you. I think it's kind of funny. So publicly I've got sort of a grand persona and I'm out there and I'm very extroverted and all of that. I don't think people would realize that privately I have a very small circle of people that I, you know, choose to socialize with or, or who would, are willing to socialize with me, however you look at it. Um, I don't like to be the center of attention privately. Um, I don't like to be the the main event. Um, I'm actually a relatively private person and I'm relatively um, 
you know, shielded when it comes to my personal life. So I guess that's something that people wouldn't wouldn't necessarily know or wouldn't necessarily expect. I also like country music, love country music. How does a suburban Chicago kid from the north side like country music? My dad loved country music. So I was a US 99 guy before uh, Sirius XM. (laughs) (laughs) Who's your favorite country artist? Uh, Kenny Chesney. Kenny Chesney, uh, hands down. Yeah, my wife and I saw him at Soldier Field years ago. Um, really huge fan. Followed his career, his trajectory. Fascinating dude. Um, can really relate to him and his stories. I have a quick question for you. So because we've worked together for a long time, we rarely hear about Mike Lubefeld without hearing about Nick Poliak. <laughs> In what ways would you say that you two are alike? And in what ways are you two very different? Oh, my God. Nick is my brother from another mother. So he and I are so lucky to have found each other. Um, He is an amazing, I would say, really wholesome, sort of bright light, shining guy. He's the halo on the right side of your shoulder. And if you really know me personally and go back deeply, (laughs) I'm the other one. (laughs) I would attest to that. Yes. There needs to be a good balance always. We get that. Yes. (laughs) All right, Mike, let's say that you have the greatest superpower and you get to change one thing in education. What would it be and why? The superpower I would change in education would be ending poverty and the cascading impact and generational impact it has on the people in poverty and the people around the people in poverty. Why? Because I don't believe we have a problem with people who are different than one another. That's I think that that is in its in and of itself the superpower of public schooling. I think that poverty impacts the ability of even the most dedicated, best intentioned, best resourced educators to help and grow and move because the impacts outside of school that poverty has an emotional sense of despair, possible um, just lack of survival needs and inability of the child in this case to go from Maslow's hierarchy of thinking beyond survival and actually hit the road towards self-actualization. I think poverty is the biggest problem we face in our society. I think childhood poverty, it should be criminal. And I know that in the state of Illinois, I believe that 54% of our state's 2 million public school children qualify for the federal free and reduced lunch program, which is a metric of poverty. So I'm glad you asked. My magic wand would be to eliminate and erase poverty and help raise up these folks who have suffered in generational poverty and help to provide opportunities for them to experience um, non-poverty. We can get behind that idea. We like that magic wand, don't we? For sure. Mm -hmm. So you've done a lot. We know that you have an upcoming book. Would you like to tell our listeners about the book that you have coming up? And also, how can our listeners get in touch with you and connect with you? All right. So I would be grateful to tell you. So Nick Poliak, my brother from another mother, and PJ Capozzi, um, an amazing superintendent and writer and guy and just cool, cool friend. The three of us wrote the book, The Unfinished Teacher, Becoming the Next Version of Yourself. Roman and Littlefield Publishers will release it to the public uh, on or about January 15th, 2024. It's starting to be um, 
uh, eligible for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Roman and Littlefield. Uh, I can be reached on Twitter at, at Mike Lubelfell, just Mike and Lubelfell, just one one word. I'm on LinkedIn. I think as Michael Lubelfeld, so I'm missing, you know, uh, mixing it up a little bit. I am on Facebook as Mike Lubelfeld, and uh, you know, I'm on Instagram as Mike underscore Lubelfeld, and I'm even on Threads, although I don't understand it. I <laughs> would love to connect with anybody that ever is interested in anything. Um, I do serve as a mentor uh, for the Illinois Principal Association. Um, I, I find helping develop talents in in uh, leaders is the most rewarding work that a superintendent can do. Um, and really honored to have the opportunity to write with with such really incredible guys as Nick and PJ, and honored to be here with folks like yourself talking about unsupervised leadership. And I have to give a tip of my hat and a shout out to the Board of Education in North Shore School District 112, because they put up with me, they allow me to be me. And they do sometimes supervise me, but sometimes I get a little unsupervised as well. Yeah, yeah I want to give you a shout out because I had an opportunity to see you in your element with your team. And I've had the opportunity to also see you with certain board members as well. And you're a great leader, Mike. You really are. And uh, a model for so many superintendents across our state. So as we begin to wrap up today, who are some F4 leaders that we should all follow from your perspective? An F4 leader is someone who is fun, fabulous, fierce, and female. Oh, I love it. Okay, so F4, Susan Enfield. Uh, she's a superintendent in Nevada. She was superintendent in um, uh, uh, the, the Seattle-Tacoma area, Highline. She's superb, and she is definitely all four of those Fs, which is without without question. Um, Christine Gilmore is a former superintendent up from uh, D.C. Everest in uh, northern Wisconsin, uh, north north um, west Wisconsin. She is amazing. She did remarkable work, and she's still in education doing some cool stuff. I'm also going to give a shout out on the East Coast to Pam Moran. Pam Moran, uh, she wrote the foreword of Student Voice, From Invisible to Invaluable. Another great book that you might want to find. Uh, and Pam is a former superintendent in uh, Virginia, and she's staying current in education right now. And you want a fourth F4 leader? It's, I, there, there's, believe me, there's plenty. So um, I'm also going to suggest that you look into uh, a woman named Valerie Truesdale. Valerie is one of the senior executives up at the AASA, and she has been doing some really spectacular work around the country, helping develop existing leaders, develop new leaders, um, and she is fantastic. I've had the good fortune of spending some professional development time with her and some quality professional time with her. So I want to give you a West Coast, East Coast, you know, kind of get you all over the place. That's good. That's a great list. We have had Susan Enfield on the podcast, yeah. but we should get Chris, Pam, and Valerie on here as well. So those are three great leaders that we will look into. So Mike, you oh, delivered. Oh, can I, can oh. I, oh, I was going to, I, I, please pardon the interruption. Excuse the interruption. May I have your attention, please? Yes. I also want to give a huge shout out to Gladys Cruz. So Gladys is, you know, a presidential uh, AASA. Um, she's also an amazing leader. She's a lot of fun. Also, Zandra Joe Galvan from California. So I, I want to make sure I add those two amazing ladies also to your repertoire. Sorry. Yeah. We this need is them when people the get awards at the Grammys and then they get cut off by the music and then they keep talking. <laughs> 
It's been like, wait, hold on. My list is coming out of my pocket. Where are we on the commercial by now? The music's playing. We're like, <laughs> sorry, you guys. I love oh, it. Listen, you've been on a lot of podcasts. What's the most fun podcast that you've been on? Unsupervised leadership, hands down. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Adam Welcome will be sad, but that's okay. <laughs> we are more fun than him sometimes. Yeah, some days, sometimes. Adam's okay. a superstar. Tip my hat to Adam as well, obviously, of course. Yeah, that was a great pod. He asked you some really, really great questions. Mike, thank you for being on Unsupervised Leadership. We hope it's everything you thought it would be and more. I am inspired and I'm uh, innovated and I'm engaged and I appreciate you two more than you know. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity. Yep. Well, everybody, you heard it, heard it here first. Mike finally came on Unsupervised Leadership. He did a great job. In case you want to continue the friendship with him, he gave you all of his social media handles that you can find him at. You can also look for his book, Unfinished Teacher, coming out January 15th, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Roan and Littlefield. He's going to share the link. We're going to share it out. So until next time, don't forget, if you don't have a seat at the table, you can always sit with us. Bye.